gentlemen let's uh let's get to it um after a long and much needed break from doing the podcast show for a number of reasons due to the holiday the election and the recent event that took place on thursday december 3rd 2020 in chicago um today this episode is one of many personal episodes for myself and for my family that's my panel guest today in regards to a, a man a giant a a huge figure in our in not only our lives but in the lives of the city of chicago for majority of his life he has dedicated his life to serving and saving people and has been such an influential figure in the community for many many years he's also a retired veteran of the military, which also speaks to how service was a big thing to him. And it was in the forefront of his mind and his everyday life. Uh, after sitting out, having my own trepidations as to why I should go on with this show and understanding that this information is obviously vital and important to us as black people in the community, Wanted to make a difference. One of my last conversations with this man was him asking me how the podcast was going. And he and I laughing about certain instances where we were speaking about things that's going on in the world politically. And he would give me a lot of information that I knew came from a very genuine place. And so Part of that last conversation was me telling him that I was looking forward to having him on this show to give his perspective on, on life as we know it, what our parts are indeed from his perspective and how we can best service each other because he was a man of service. This man that I'm speaking highly of can't be described in one word. He was a man of many hats. He was an advocate for uh, being just a family-oriented person. He, he loved his family. He loved helping people any way that he can. And one of his favorite things that he used to always say to not just myself, but everyone on this panel is, you do what you can while you can for as long as you can. And that was something he stood on, firmly on. So I definitely want to acknowledge him in such a way that we, we do due diligence and we do him a, a service to recognize and everything that he stood for. Um, I also want to say too, and this is part of the introduction, obviously, um, this is my first time actually looking at this t-shirt, let alone even putting it on. Because for me, it pretty much stamped the realization of what reality really is now. I've had my troubles just as well as everyone else on this call coming to grips with this actually being real. And so we still struggle with that on an everyday basis, but I won't speak for everyone on here. This is the reason why I have everyone on this show to speak to that very sentiment. So after a long overdue period and break and just having to just regroup 
and really figure out what my place is in this world, I thought to myself, what would my uncle say to me to do? What would he do himself? And I know for a fact that he would want me to continue on putting out information that is needed to better assist us as a black community. However, I can be that kind of an impact. And I hope and pray to God that I can leave a mark remotely close to this world that he has left. So without further ado, welcome back to Speak to the Mic, the podcast show. I am your host, Marlon Joseph. This is the first episode of the year for me because I did take that necessary time to think about exactly what I want to do and whether or not I want to continue on, continue on with this show. And with the help of my family, who was on this panel guest, with my panel guest today, with their help and their guidance and their love, I've been able to understand that the importance of doing this show and making a difference has to continue on. And so, and doing just justice to each and every one of my family members, I want to also I want to make sure I give everyone their proper introduction, but not just who they are to me, but who they were and still are to my uncle, who was a father, a husband, an uncle, a brother, a grandfather, a cousin, a friend, a man amongst boys in the world. The retired Lieutenant Dwayne Williams, who served as a Lieutenant for the Chicago Fire Department for nearly 30 years, and also a retired veteran in the military for nearly 30 years. Without further ado, let me introduce you to my panel, which is my beloved family members, my aunt Karen Williams, who not only was his confidant and his union of love companion. She shared practically the same heart with this man, same mind. She, she too has a love for family that is undescribable. And to also introduce the four beautiful and astounding daughters of a man who learned so much from him and took so much from him and applied it to their own everyday lives. Starting with the elder of the four. And each and every one of these daughters of his are sisters to me, not even just cousins, which I can appreciate every single day. Starting with Thomasia Humphrey, his firstborn daughter. Kenya Hester, his secondborn, who in fact, whose birthday is in two days. Dakita Williams and Deanna Williams. Now, as emotional as this episode is and will be, we're taking the time to acknowledge this man in such a way that even stretches far beyond any funeral service or 
uh, any memorial from a standpoint of, you know, just marching and obviously protesting against violence because he was a man that fought for Chicago and just trying to save Chicago as best as he could. So much that even after two years, two years after he retired from the Chicago Fire Department, he still went back to work to help the Chicago Police Department, help solve crimes such as the one he became a victim to. He has been a man who, again, dedicated his life to doing the best he could for a city that obviously and unfortunately showed very little things. So I wanna start by asking a $100 million question and I'll start with my Aunt Karen in regards to this. Yeah, we've all been asked this question, but none of us has been able to give a straight answer to it. How are we doing? Auntie Karen, I want to start with you. How are you doing? Well, <clears throat> I'm rooted in God, so that helps me a lot. Many people offer prayer in my behalf. And that's helping me a lot. I just had a lady that I didn't even know her, Miss Polk. She calls me and she called me this morning and she read a scripture and she was telling me, you know, about what God says about municipalities and how uh, man is explaining to me why man acts the way he does these time at this time. And that we have a, a better world coming in which God is gonna be ruled, meaning that we will have a mind more like God, more godly like God. And so we know whatever you think it, that's what you do. So that's why the world will be better than it is now because what man is thinking now and doing now is, is completely satanic. And uh, knowing things like that is helping me, giving me hope that we're going to have a better world. And um, so I'm taking, my family said, take it one step, day at a time. So I'm doing one day at a time. I'm staying prayerful. I'm trying to stay within the, with, within the guidelines of our Father God. So I know I can't hate or, or be, you know, fearful. I have to have courage and stay positive. And um, so I'm doing that. And um, I'm just trying to, um, Lil, like you said, our family and Dwayne, my husband, believe in do all you can, when you can, the best you can, while you can. So I'm trying to do that. And um, I want to be positive and, and um, help 
even those that are, how can you say it? You know, like the, the ones that, that took my husband away, just try to keep in mind that I even have to do whatever I can to make, bring their mind, restructure their mind so that they can see the light, the, a better world and realize what they, the way the world, that what they're doing now is horrifically wrong and there's a better way. So I don't know, just believing that uh, that God is in control, I guess. Yeah. What can I say? I'm just happy I got a, a strong family. Yeah. And we support one another. That helps me to keep moving on. Yeah. Yes, that's <clears throat> about it. And, and, and that's fair. It's fair to say that it's it's definitely uh, an everyday process to digest what took place. And uh, no one can put a time on grieving. No one can can tell you, all right, well, it's been this amount of time. And the fact that it's still fresh for us, we're waking up every single day and, and that's in the forefront of all of our minds. And we're just trying to figure out, okay, now how do I go about my everyday life after this, during this, and with this in my mind and on my heart, how do I get the most out of the day knowing that so much has been taken out of me from this horrendous event that took place? I mean, a, a lot, Joey, so much. Um, such a big hole. Yeah. As, as Kenya said in Grand Canyon, yeah, I'd say it's almost like a, a no, a hole with you can't find when you're gonna stop falling. <laughs> yeah, but you still keep reaching up, though. You still some kind of way keep reaching, like sinking, but you're not sinking because you're still trying to. You see a light up there, and you're still trying to pull up. Yeah, the the, the idea of optimism as dim as that light is, that light still does exist. Yeah. And you keep reaching for it because you, you see it. Yeah. Even though you're underwater, but you see it. Yeah. So I, I also want to take the time too, to also um, allow his daughters to shed light on how they're feeling in, in, in the wake of this horrendous tragedy that has struck our family. And like many other families, we're you know trying to find ways to deal with it. Um, oftentimes, you know, you you have those moments where you're you're alone and you're basically in that moment by yourself. Um, but you know that in the grand scheme of things that you're not going through this alone. And so with with that being said, I want to start with you, Thomasia. How, well, just the same question. Um, how are you doing? I'm sorry, I had my mic on muted. Um, it has been 
one of the hardest things I have ever had to deal with. Um, I tell everybody that my dad was my God. And when you have someone who takes up so much space in your life, um, when they're gone, nothing can ever feel it. Nothing can ever replace it. Nothing can make it better. Um, I feel lost, you know, like a ship without being moored and just in the sea. And my dad gave me structure. He gave me reasoning. Um, he was a light. Um, he explained so much and I was able to understand so much. And now without him, life seems to have no reason. And um, it has taken an emotional toll on me, um, a heavy toll. It has taken a toll on my husband and my children and my grandchildren. Um, you know, dealing with um, deep depression and, you know, having to go and seek um, help because it felt so helpless and hopeless that every day is a struggle for me right now. Every day is a struggle just to get out the bed. Um, and it's, 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 just, it's just devastating. I cannot imagine if losing a parent would be this devastating, how would losing a child or I just, I can't. And like mom said, you know, if you had the dad that we had, if you had the dad we had, what a beautiful world this truly would be. And so he is sorely and deeply and profoundly missed. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but, I mean, it's, it's really hard to even fathom or process the idea that a man so, so gigantic in our lives and, and, and obviously, to, to shed some light and perspective on this, we obviously all know and we all of we all are, you know, people of faith. Right. So we understand that death is a part of life. But it's it's the idea of how you die that is more so hurtful than the person dying itself. Right. So the fact that he was murdered. We could we we could we could be dealing with the idea of possibly being sick or you know dying of old age. That those things 
as hard as they would be, it would be more acceptable to understand because we all are going to meet that path or, or come to, to that end of the road at some point of our lives. When, when a life is taken by someone it wasn't, it wasn't given to, or it did, who, who don't own that life, much less even control the life. That, that's much more heinous and hard to deal with and process because decisions like that didn't have to happen. There's always another way. And, you know, to use, you know, something that my mother used to say, yeah, it's more than one way of getting to a house in the front door. Mm. And the fact that another decision could have been made, not just, not by him, because he was, you know, going about his merry way. It was an everyday thing that he did, right? So I won't touch bases on that just yet until I get everyone's, uh, you know, take on it. But uh, Kenya, I want to uh, direct this to you as well. Um, just how are you feeling? Hmm, that's a good question. I think it varies from day to day. Yeah. There's not been two days that have been strung together that has been the same. I would say today I'm having an okay day. Yesterday, not so much. The day before, not so much. So I think that there are always going to be some, um, always going to be ebbs and flows on that question. That question, if you pose it to me tomorrow, may be completely different. I would say that overall, when you think about the totality of the loss that has suffered by the family, it's almost unfathomable. You cannot put it into words. You can't put it on the scale and weigh it. You can't weigh it in the balance and find it one in a lacking. You can't put it into quantifiable terms. You can't quantify it. You can't qualify it. You cannot um, begin to look at the definitions for despair that I feel. Yeah. There is no proper word that I can point to that will adequately label what me and my kids and my family go through on a day-to-day -day basis. What I know my mom is going through on a day-to-day -day basis. There is no exit ramp. There's no workaround. There's no shortcut, no abbreviated path for us to get through this. So every day we get up, myself included is just trying to find some semblance of a light in the hazy darkness that's left where my dad used to reside. I have always prayed and I continue to do that, that somehow I emerge from this situation with my spirit intact. It's not just words that I say, but it is truly how I feel. 
so much has died in me. I didn't just lose my dad on December the 3rd. If the truth be told, I think I lost a piece of my own humanity that day. I lost a piece of my own faith that day. I lost a piece of my own belief that day. I lost a piece of my own hope for tomorrow that day. Yeah. I lost my dad that day. Yeah. Yeah. So I am working every day to try to gain back what has been lost through this tragedy. Don't know if I ever can get it back, but one thing I know for sure is the person that I was on December the 2nd is no more. December the 3rd changed that forever. I don't know if I can get to a place where I can trust that people would not seek to do my family harm. I want to be able to look at people, especially in my profession, and be able to soothe and help and um, apply a healing balm for people at their worst. So there's compassion that has to reside in me for me to be able to do my job effectively. But all of that has been diminished. So if I had to say anything to anybody that's listening, when you lose somebody in this manner um, and have them to be stripped from you, there is no grieving process. You just are thrown into a whirlwind of trying to whirl in the air and steal your chap and trying to find solid ground to put your feet on. So every day is uncertain. And I wouldn't wish this type of pain on anybody. Yeah. I absolutely agree with every, every point that you made about that. Um, every day you wake up, it's all right, I'm okay. And I, and I literally wake up asking myself, all right. Are you okay? You okay? It's gonna be all right. And from one minute to the next, I can be okay, keeping myself busy. The very second I have to not be busy, I'm falling apart. <laughs> and and it, it 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 tends to fluctuate, and it, it, it the consistency of it fluctuating is what. It's undescribable how you can go from just being all right, laughing, enjoying life, trying to enjoy what you can get out of life that day. And then something so small and minute can just trigger off the thought of the thought of him or the thought of the event that, uh, that took place. And then it's back to square one again. Mm. And I know that's been pretty consistent for all of us. Um, Nikita, 
how have you been or how are you doing? Every day is brand new. It is like picking away at a scab you know you shouldn't be touching. It's never going to heal. At least that's how it seems on the surface, right? Yeah. It seems like every little thing reminds me of dad. <sighs> to share our accomplishments with him. I, you know, two months, almost three months later, I'm still like, let me text that. I want to share this. And then I get that. Oh, well, I can't. <laughs> Zion got A, her first uh, presentation, oral presentation, and her first science project. And she got 100%. And the first thing I wanted to do was to share that with him. And I was unable. It is difficult, not even from day to day, but most days from moment to moment, the uncertainty of what can happen what people are willing to do to make themselves happy but that self-gratification and how that could cost me or my husband's life it is beyond painful to lose someone tragically is a different kind of pain it is indescribable it is and we we all feel the same sentiment it is something that we do not wish on our worst enemy I don't wish this on anybody and knowing that this happens numerous times a day, a moment, a minute. This is a world full of hurt and pain just based off of tragedy. I never thought in a million years that I would be wearing my dad on a t-shirt. <laughs> Never would I have thought that I would have my nieces and nephews and my child 
wearing their grandfather on a shirt with wings. What kind of pain our children having to deal with that they're not even sharing with us? It is. It is the worst. It is the worst. Yeah, yeah, it it truly is. Um, uh, I think we lost uh, Deanna. I hope she jumps back on because I want to get her to share her feelings about this event too. So while we uh, while you know she jumps back on, I want a quick backstory. Uh, in regards to the events that took place on Thursday, December 3rd, 2020. So, retired fireman, Lieutenant Dwayne Williams was leaving out of what's Let's Get Poppin' Popcorn Shop on 118th and Western in Chicago when he was met by four assailants three of which got out of the car to attempt to carjack him. Um, with guns. With guns. Yes. With guns. guns drawn. Guns drawn. Uh, He's Lord. And obviously him being uh, a military man and a uh, a man who not only loved his family, but would fight to protect his family as well. He, his mind instantly went into attack mode. And he was threatened. His, his life was threatened and he had every right to protect himself in the way that he did. Little did, did these four assailants know that he obviously, he too was armed. And so he, he proceeded to take matters in his hands to help preserve his life by returning shots even before the initial shot rang out from their end. These four assailants didn't take anything from him except the one thing that is the most precious and valuable, which was his life. He died from fatal wounds, one gunshot wound, and a failed attempt to carjack him for a car that he was so proud to have, worked hard to get, and rightfully deserved. And the idea that young people, anyone for that matter, but young people in particular in this matter, took it upon themselves to try to attempt to carjack him and didn't succeed only to run away all while <clears throat> all while fighting for his life to do the very thing that he, he would do every single day, which is return home to his wife. 
with popcorn. This was a popcorn shop he visited often and he knew the people by name. They knew him by first name because that's the kind of person he was. He was a very approachable person, a very personable person who always brought joy in people's lives. Whoever he ever, ever came in contact with, he would always put a smile on someone's face. His smile alone was so big and radiant that you couldn't help but smile if you ever saw him smile. He had succumbed to his fatal wound, one single gunshot. <laughs> one single gunshot. And um, thereafter, a lot of love and support from the city of Chicago poured in giving us all some hope and optimism that not only would they apprehend these suspects, but also put the whole world and put the whole city of Chicago on notice that you may have gotten by at that moment, but you're not going to get away. So I am happy to say, we are happy to say the very least that these four individuals were apprehended by Chicago PD with the help of other um, agencies who were involved. And obviously we are at a position right now where we can't fully disclose or it divulge much information because this is a pending case and the investigation is still pending as well. So what we can say for public record, uh, of course, is that these four individuals have been apprehended and are in the process of being charged and convict, convicted at the highest form of the law. And we hope as a family that we, we get justice for this heinous crime that took place on December 3rd against a man who, to the key to this point, Never would have thought in a million years something like this would happen. Not to him. This kind of thing is not supposed to happen at all. Especially not to people like him. Not him. Not ever. The pride that he took in taking care of the streets of Chicago. The pride he took in being such a hardworking man, being such a student of life. And with every ounce of information he learned, he was more than willing to give it for free away to each and every one of us. And, and he, was a, he was a mentor of young people. A mentor, a coach. He was, again, to reiterate something that I said earlier, that there's no one word to describe this man. And given all of the information that he embodied, and that he was willing to give out to each and every one of us to help us apply it. The one thing I could remember and part of that last conversation I had with him was, I said something to him that it even, you know, made him smile and, and kind of sat back and looked at me and said, hmm, I see you have been listening. So I said to him that knowledge is not power. Applied knowledge is. 
Because how can you say you know something and you don't apply it? Then mm-hmm. it would ultimately mean that you don't know it, right? And so he broke it down in essence, just giving me the equation scientifically of how knowledge equals power. And it hit him in such a way to hear me say that, that he was just, he was kind of almost surprised to even hear me just kind of mimic the very words he said to me once before. I mean, I couldn't go on and on about millions of stories and conversations with him that stuck with me. And something I said during the the service that I will reiterate because this, this speaks to the kind of person, the kind of man he was. If those four assailants would have just given him five minutes of their time it only take five minutes to change your life. Not only would he have talked him out of doing what they were doing, he would have gave them a three-hour lecture on why the earth is flat and how it's not 24 hours in a day. It's 23 hours, 56 minutes, and 46 seconds because that's how long it takes for the earth to fully rotate around his axis, around the sun. Just that information, that knowledge, that education alone speak to the very sentiment of how powerful this man was to all of us. I know to me, um, he was more than an uncle to me. Someone who gave such a damn about me that he almost made me forget who in fact my father actually was, which is ironically enough, his brother, but we got into a place in in our lives that it wasn't about who or how I was related to him. But we, of course, took it upon ourselves to develop that relationship together. Being a man today, sitting here with you all today, I'm proud to know and say that the very things I learned from him, I'm gonna make sure that I, I pass every ounce of it to my own kids. to show him how much I was listening to him and to show how much he meant to me and to do the very things that either he would do or he would want me to do without thinking twice about it. And so, Obviously, I want to switch to something uh, real quick in regards to what we can speak about the case and the process of it, right? So granted, we know that the four assailants have been captured and been arrested. As a family, I would, you know, I would like to ask you all this question and I'll circle back around starting at the top. Auntie Karen, um, just what way, if you can describe 
just your overall fond memories or what what way are you able to remember him most for or what what is the one thing that you can say if there's even one thing that you can say you remember about him the most if there's anything that could one thing that could stand out to you in particular please share that well so like you said so it's no one word to describe him yeah but i i guess that he was brilliant he was a kind loving human being he was fearless and courageous He was a, he believed he wanted, he was a servant to all, to all people across all boundaries. He had, you know, yeah. he always wanted to instill hope and, and, and he wanted you to, to dream big and, and strive to be the best that you could be. And he would do anything in his power to help help you to accomplish that. And he was so capable and able to do that. It wasn't just that he talked these, he walked it and he was, and he applied himself. And he was successful in so many different endeavors. That's why when he, when he spoke, he just captivated you and you, you knew he, he knew what he was talking about because he was it, he was it, he was the essence of what he was saying. Yeah. Um, that's what stands out to me. He was just such a, such a, such a beautiful spirit. And um, Absolutely. anybody that anybody that knew him or got a chance to be around him, they all loved him. I have many young people stop at my door and tell me, you know, because they had a chance to listen to him and was mentored by him, and that he they changed he changed their lives and they wanted me to know that they were successful as young adults. And um, that's just who he was, you know. Yeah. He touched people, resonated with them. That he did. And yeah. as far as his intellect and brilliance go, I I I can't help but even think about the idea of, all right, every time that I would try to reach him, every time I would call him, before I did, I would try to learn something new first. But I would do it with the intent of hoping that he didn't know. So that way I can say, ah, see, now I'm going to teach you something. Well, that's how come he knew so much. He never, he was a lifelong learner. Yeah. He was straight A student in school. He always, whatever he did, he always reached a, a, a high level in it, like in the military, um, soldier of the mountains, um, 
and in education, he's teacher of the year. And the fire department, he rolls very high. He has over, over 200 different merits. I have those big, um, um, what do you call them? Books, um, you know, notebooks mm-hmm. of merits, at least two, three or four, two or two, at least two or more of those, but all his different um, certificates and honors and merits that he received throughout life. Um, so, you know, he's in the, he's in all, all, what is it? All American. Yeah. The who's who book, he's in that. Um, so it's what I'm saying. It, that's why he could he, he could touch people because he had so much accumulative knowledge. Yeah. I mean, he wasn't just a fireman. I mean, he was an EMT. Yeah. He worked. He was a. Uh, um, he worked with hazmat. He was, um, you know, in forensics. He was. He's just all over the place doing so many things that whatever he did, he's, he was, he rose, he, he rose high status in whatever he took place in, endeavored in. And um, he would, he could even recreate some things that was profitable and made whatever he was involved in better. Yep. You know, what's funny about him on the, in a professional sense, right? So he, I, I remember having conversations with him about re, when he retired and I would, al- I, would, I would always ask him, like, um, why, why won't you just sit down and just enjoy life? You I mean, you, you work, you've dedicated your life to working and you've taken pride in working. He just couldn't do that. He was so, he was so determined and he would tell me, well, listen, I, yeah, I can, I mean, you know, I, I, I'll I'll get a chance to, you know, visit some places here and there, man. But, you know, I still got a lot left to give. Still got a lot left to, you know, teach and instruct. And, 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 I, and I know for a fact that each and every one of us take that with us in terms of having pride to not want to give up just because society says, okay, well, 30, 40 years of your life, you work, now you can retire. No, if you would like to work, you want to continue to work, that's your prerogative. You have every right to want to continue, to feel like you still have a lot left to give. And that's the kind of person that he was on a professional sense. And he, yeah, he would say, you know. Um, doing something, and it was always something productive. And, yeah. and he would say he has so much he has learned so much and accumulated so much. It'd just be a waste not to continue to share it. Yeah. And and apply it. And I would just tell him, I'm like, you know what? You you deserve to just be able to vacation when and wherever you want to go. He's like, yeah, I, I'll get to that. I, I'll do that later, you know. And nothing or no one could stop him from being able to continue on with want to learn even more and want to do even more. And yeah, that, that, that speaks to me in such a way that, you know, 
I, I, I too will carry that with me for the rest of my life. And whenever I feel as though I'm done working, then that's when I'll stop. And so, um, again, speaking to the very many things that we can say about him in regards to his makeup, just everything that made him who he was and made him who he was to us, you know, more importantly. And, um, Thomasia, what, um, I want to ask you this too. So, because you obviously, one thing that you said to me that, um, that stood out to me about him, even when you were growing up as a kid, that I'm going to make sure I do, you know, with my kids as well. And it's making education fun, right? So being able to, you know, go to a restaurant and sit down and, um, you know, whenever they give kids like crayons and paper, he would, you often, he told me that he would oftentimes write your names down and have you write down how many names or how many words can come out of your name. Just in that, you know, just to obviously not keep you busy, but in a way he probably was doing that too, but also, but to help you understand, you know, learning new words and, and how to even, you know, pronounce your names and, you know, understand syllables and stuff like that. Can you, before telling me what's the one thing that stands out to you about him and what the one thing you can remember about him, kind of shed some light on that, on, on just that backstory for a quick second, because I thought that was very interesting to know that. And, you know, I, I'm definitely going to make sure I do that with my kids it's, to keep education fresh in their mind, even when they're not in the classroom. Yeah, I would definitely love to hear you, you know, talk about that for a second. Whenever we were um, with dad, uh, you know, uh, back in the day when you could go to Pizza Hut and sit down and eat, when it was an eat restaurant, and dad would always take us to Pizza Hut, um, <clears throat> you know, and you're waiting on your order and to keep us busy, <laughs> keep us occupied. Um, he would he would grab the the paper uh, menu placemat and he turned it over and you know he was like okay 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 now see we gonna see who can win this five dollars he put the money on the table smack it down and who could come up with the the most um, words from of our names so we would write my name down or whoever's name and it, he made competition fun. Um, he made learning extraordinarily fun. Um, I got to learn what a cumulus cloud was. I got to learn, um, you know, how plants process the sunlight to make food and energy. And I learned, um, you know, when I would get in trouble, <laughs> when I stayed with dad, when I got in trouble, I, you know, dad was never a disciplinarian in terms of physical type of punishment, not to his girls. That was not something that, you know, if you got a, a whooping, you, you deserved it. Um, uh, and so only got one. So <laughs> and I think that hurt daddy more than it hurt me. Um, and, um, I had did something and I wasn't, I didn't do what he told me to do. And he says, you know, 
what it is, is I'm the adult and you're the child. <laughs> and so since you clearly don't understand what that is, I want you to go get the dictionary. And here, that's when dictionaries were had every word under Christ in them, this thick. He slapped the book down and he opened, he says, I want you to look up these words, okay? I want you to look up zygote, ball blast, embryo, infant, um, uh, adolescent, and adult. And I had to give all of those definitions. So I had to go from the very, from the creation of life <laughs> until, and he says, and then where do you fall in this category under the definition? I was like, um, I'm an adolescent. He was like, there you go. Writing, uh, I got in trouble one time and dad made me write 600 times. I will learn to obey my father. Um, and I was trying to, to, to get Kenya and, you know, I couldn't enjoy the rest of the weekend unless I did the 600. So I was trying to convince Kenya to do at least <laughs> so I could get done. He... So even in punishment, there was a lesson. Even in that was always about lessons and teaching. I was, we were talking about, um, we were, Madonna was out really big then and Like a Virgin was playing and me and Kenya were singing in the back of the car, Like a Virgin, and we had, it, it got good to us. Oh. And dad got back in the car, he turned off the radio and turned back and looked at us. He was like, I got a question. Do any of you all know what this song is about? Me and Kenya were like, no, he was like, do you know what a virgin is? We were like, no, daddy was like, well, you shouldn't be saying this song. <laughs> he was, he was, he was, um, he was just phenomenal. Uh, one of the things that the, uh, a reporter said when they were, you know, telling about dad and his situation in the story was about him being a musician and all the things that he had done. And um, they called him a Renaissance man. And I love that because that's what he was. Yeah. Yeah. He he excelled at everything from fishing to playing instruments and um, being a sharpshooter in the army and, you know, um, breaking down and being a, a, a computer, um, you know, engineer and, you know, the teletype IBM when it first came out, daddy was working on it and there was nothing from him working with the telephone company and being on the telephone poles. I remember the big phone and stuff he would have. And um, I remember when computers first came out, daddy was teaching me how to write code. Um, when we stayed on 74th and Paxton, remember Keita, he had that big computer and daddy was like, that is nothing but ones and zeros. I was like, ones and zeros, where, where? Right, and you do not use this. a computer, you utilize a computer. It's like I am fast. Talk about I want to utilize the computer, please. <laughs> it's like you never. And I was remember I was putting my hands on the floppy disk. It had a little thing there that the computer would read. But I would always put my hand there. And they was like, No, you never put your hand on that, honey. But that's where that's how the computer reads. And yeah. he he just made learning really fun um, you know, from him working on projects with Kenya um, and the science there and her getting her first award 
um, at the science fair, he was proud. When I ran track and I played basketball, daddy showed up, you know, he showed up and he showed out and all the little girls was like, oh, you're your dad. I was like, hey, 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 that's my dad. That's my dad. That's my dad. And all the little girls just thought he was so cute. Daddy would come on the on the school bus with me and ride with me to my games. And he had on his leather hat and his little leather um, shirt with the little the sweater with the little leather patches. And he just he just he, was, he just made it fun. He was a fun dad. He was yeah, one time when he uh, several times, but one time when he was. I asked him to do a science class because it was great in science. And, you know, I was, I'm a te- I was a teacher. And he wore his whole outfit, the mask, you know, the what you breathe through. He looked like some, an astronaut when he walked in the classroom and all oh, that he captivated the children because they could hear <gasps> blowing through. Oh, and uh, so, and then he took the suit off and began to teach. It was so invigorating and um when he um did science projects he made everything come alive you know everything um, yeah. we did our water bottle when we were on um live when dad was living off of i think it was cottage grove or king drive i can't remember i think it was cottage grove but don't quote me on it um that apartment and Keita was a baby and King and I were there and daddy was teaching us about hurricanes and tornadoes. And he took two two liter bottles, taped them up and he put like sprinkles and things in there and we would do a tornado and he would show us how tornadoes worked. There was, you don't get that. You don't get that. We, one of the things we used to love uh, playing with dad was um, Battleship. And he was super competitive. Dad did not care if you were a kid or not. If he sucked. Mm. I lost you. Uh, Tar, you uh, you put yourself on mute again. Tar, let me see. Excellent. Tar, you on mute. He, he made it, he made it really interesting. And I enjoyed, you know, having a father who understood, you know, girls. My dad taught us um, about puberty. My dad bought me a book on puberty. Why do you want to know this? It was a twofold book. And it had the girl side of puberty. And then when you flipped it, it had the boy side. So it taught about girls' hips and breasts, and it was a cartoon kind of thing. And then on the back side, it had boys with erections standing at the pool, and the boy, it was just oh my god. (laughs) He did, he wanted you, there was nothing taboo. Yeah. Nothing taboo for dad. Nothing. It didn't matter if you were a girl, girl or boy. Yeah. He explained biology in life in a way that you could understand it. He made it fun. And he was funny. He was funny. He made he made it funny. He made it, it wasn't scary. I remember one time um, we were going to dad's and my mom told us we couldn't go 
Yeah. And dad was like, okay, you guys are ready. I'm on my way to come and get you. And I said, well, we can't go because dad said, you can't go. Why can't you go? And I said, well, mom won't let us go. He was like, well, did you ask her why? And it was just silence on the phone. I was like, ask who why? Oh, you mean DW? Oh, no, we're not asking DW why. You can ask her why. <laughs> but dad allowed us to question. He, if you, If he said something, and you didn't agree with it, he gave you that voice. And that's what I loved about having a black, intelligent and empowered father. He instilled pride in being black, being um, strong, self-sustaining, and he was sensitive. He would, he didn't mind giving hugs and, and stuff like that. He, he, was, he was emotionally, available. So those are the things that I could always say about him. He made my life interesting. Um, I was always pricking at him emotionally, you know. Um, I was always saying I was daddy's Jiminy Cricket (laughs) when it came to certain things like Let's not kill the mouse that you're trying to trap. Let's feed him. And Daddy was like, "No, you know, it was." But he he was he was an awesome dad, and yeah. he he took pride in his family. Absolutely. Um, you know, it's funny that you uh, mentioned how just informative he was about everything, and then even being a jokester, right? So, you know one of the most fond memories I have in terms of like cracking jokes with him is that he he never let me like just get away with cracking a joke on him because he had just returned the joke back and then he'll keep going. I'm just like, all, all right, man. All right. You made the point. Okay. You you can stop now. All right. It, it wasn't that funny first off, secondly, but he would be busting up laughing about it. And it's just like, okay. And so I, uh, you know, I think about that oftentimes whenever I'm just like, if I'm at, at the lowest point and I start, what helps me is thinking about those mo- those moments where I'm laughing at something that he said or something that he did. And so um, that is something too that I, I really appreciate about all of us, uh, especially on this show, uh, on this episode, is to be able to share some of those fond and memorable moments that, that made us smile and, and happy and and made him happy as well in those times with us. And so, uh, Dakita, I want to uh, direct that same question to you too. So, obviously, you were able to share some of the stuff that uh, that Thomasy was was mentioning earlier about just how fun and adventurous education was for y'all. But what 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 is your what is your most fond moment uh, or most memorable moment about that you remember about your dad? Oh my gosh. Um... Just everything. I, I, my, who, who, child. (laughs) (laughs) That's hard because there was so much. I think that, um, the most memorable, oh my gosh, is just because he made education so fun it became well that's all we knew really 
we didn't know anything else so um i think our thirst for um learning new things i think that's that was that's really the most memorable because i can hold on to that forever you know what i mean like when he made all of us put our names since what was it the, the rover was going to mars and he was like make sure you sign up you <laughs> i want everybody in the house to put your name on the road so it can go to mars and i'm like who's gonna read it <laughs> the martians the martians are gonna you know, read. The, Mar- right. the martians are gonna read my name i want to know how they're gonna pronounce it um <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I you know it's an asteroid coming towards the Earth. You know stuff like that. I think um, is the most, and of course, his dad jokes. Oh as corny as they were, you're like, oh my gosh, who even thinks of stuff like this? And he cracked himself up, like, oh. and would oh. get a really good hearty laugh oh, out of no, he it. Was so fun oh. like that. It was funny to see him laugh because I'm like, all right, so I'm gonna laugh because you're laughing. I'm not even because you're laughing. No, not even laughing at the joke. I'm laughing at you laughing. So people be cracking up. Oh god, man. Um, I remember. So I remember my first day of kindergarten. Oh my god. And I know, right? They tell you not supposed to remember, but I do. I remember preschool as well. But anyway, <laughs> um, my first day of kindergarten, um, of course, I'm not supposed to even be in kindergarten that year because my birthday is late. Yeah. Um, but somehow, Deborah and Dwayne figured out how to get me in school <laughs> a year ahead of what I was supposed to be. And the teacher asked me to write my name in her grade book. Well, Dakita wrote her name in cursive and the teacher is like oh okay (laughs) (laughs) oh okay so that's the kind of when I say you know we didn't know anything different we literally did not know I thought I was doing the right thing she just wanted me to print Melinda print I've been doing that for four years what you talking about But, but to see a kindergarten write yep. in cursive, it, it was very orthodox, right? So, I mean, because you learn how to write yeah. in cursive, like what, second to third grade or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And that's, but that's, that's just, you know. Made. Yeah. And, 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 you know, those, all of those teachings that we've got and all of those life lessons, we've passed down to our children. Yeah. And he, you know, I'm glad that my daughter got a chance to um to have him around she's the youngest grandchild mm-hmm. and i'm glad that you know he was there he was at everything every soccer game every he like okay look you, you need to run the other way <laughs> you know just to come watch her cheer to her dance recitals and things like that you know he taught her how to untie a bag you know, like when the, the shopping bags are in, yep. in a knot and you can't get the knot out instead of ripping it and fumbling. You, talk, you know, those kinds of things. Um, 
you know, we can just hold on to forever. Yeah. And keep, you know, it, we just keep sharing it back and forth, really. Yeah. And, and, that, that and not, building uh, upon it. Yeah, that, that whole not thing. Uh, I, uh, I didn't, I ain't, I ain't get that one. So I, I keep tearing you it back up. I, I ain't got time for that. Uh, that not too, <laughs> it's too tight. No, it's going to get ripped. I ain't you know what? Back no more. You know what? One of the things, no one of the things that dad has and they're still there are his puzzles. Oh my Anybody God, remember yes. the puzzles? Yes. So if you can work out those little mind puzzles, you can untie a knot. He had them real and small that, puzzles and you had all that like 3,000 pieces to him, wasn't it? Yeah, but no, no, these were the, the, the mind puzzles were getting a circle through a square. I mean, it was, mm -hmm. you know, they, they link together and you have to manipulate them to do and get them unlinked. Yeah. And so he has a bunch of those and you would literally, he would hang you one. Daddy thought he was slick. He knew how to occupy a child. Cause by the time mm -hmm. you got there, you was trying to take a nap. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> this is true. It's true. Okay. So, and, hold on so quick. So I want to ask you this question Peter, because I, I, I did go out of turn with, I, I skipped over Kenya and I apologize for that. But I want to mention this too. So Kenya, uh, would you say that because of the education that you learned from him, was that alone, or not even necessarily alone, but was that one of the most influential things that made you want to go into education? Yes. Okay. Um, because I got to see the fun side, but I also got to see the professional side of teaching yeah. because dad ultimately was my computer and physical education teacher when I was in first and second grade <laughs> and I had to call him Mr. Williams oh my and God. he he did not call on me because he knew I knew the answers because he taught them already at home and so um oh, I did get a chance to see that and people always you know you you never know what you want to be when you grow up but I did when I graduated kindergarten actually I um no, I'm sorry, pre-K, when I graduated pre-K. And they ask you, you know, they do the cute little signs, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Yeah. And mine said, teacher. And that stuck with me my whole life. Like, I did not change that. Um, even, you know, I went to school for speech language pathology. Mm -hmm. And that was, I attribute that to my nephew. Um. But even with that, that is still in the educational field. Yep. So, you know, it it does. It, it impacts us um, just to be a public servant mm -hmm. and to continue down this road, yep. um, knowing that there is a reward not only for the people that I'm helping, but for myself in the end and to see that and to see all that I put into people and I put into these different projects and um you know to see it grow and to flourish that is my re my reward and I'm grateful for that I'm grateful that um I got to see it firsthand yeah. and that he helped with it yeah, yeah that, he helped to grow that yeah, the fact that you know education was so important to him that he he took the initiative and went a step further to make it fun and mm -hmm. and make it adventurous and and like Tar said, I mean he 
he definitely knew how to occupy a kid's time. Right? And oh, yeah. Knew that you, and, and, and funny thing about that, I remember like hearing those stories about how he wasn't necessarily a disciplinary, but when he would give you long lectures, you just wish he just whooped you there. Please whoop me. <laughs> I like it's for just real. two, three hour long. I'm saying he's so long winded and he's gonna like make sure he don't miss not one ounce of information to give you. And so it was just funny how like, yeah, he, he would oftentimes, he'd talk your ear off and you'd be like, oh man, you know what? I'm just gonna go ahead and ground myself. I, I ain't gonna even worry about it. it it's not even worth it. Uh, I get it. I, I get the whole fundamental aspect of what I did wrong. And yeah, that's fair. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, uh, oh Lord, don't mess up. Do the same thing twice now, friend. Oh you been in <laughs> so, so you know what? And I'm glad you said that too, because famous quotes, he, he repeated this a number of times. He, he would say, you can't teach stupid. You can't. You can't teach stupid. And he was just like, and you can't fix stupid with more stupid. It was just, <laughs> this man, and I mean, he said it with such conviction too. So sometimes, mm -hmm. other times he would say it, I'll be laughing, but I'm like, okay, listen, I ain't laughing at you. I'm just laughing at how you said it. I'm, listen, I'm listening to you. I, I get what you say. I know. I, I completely understand what you said. So, okay, Kenya. Um, so the funny thing about, you know, uh, Kenya, uh, for those who are listening. So Kenya actually has been on the show before and she's a clinical nurse specialist um, uh, here in the, uh, in, the, in the Atlanta area for Emory Hospital. And so I know part of what she has been doing, um, it, it, it actually speaks to the kind of person and how, influence, how influential he was to all, all of us in our lives and even our professional lives. So some of the things that Obviously, I can say that Kenya picked up on was you know, obviously going to the military, um, just as he did, and uh, talking about just how important it was to be able to pour into, I mean, just get all out that you could get from education. And being a medical expert that she is, I mean, she is just phenomenal at what she does. And well, like Kenya, I would like for you to talk to about, uh, just talk to us in regards to some of the things that you remember about him or what's the most memorable thing about him that you take and apply to your own life too, uh, whether it's professionally or, you know, just everyday life. And so and it could be something funny too, because obviously these, these stories I'm hearing, it's just, <laughs> it's hilarious. Cause I didn't know some of this stuff that he was doing when y'all were younger. Obviously I'm the youngest out of everybody on this, on this show, but uh, some of the stuff I was able to uh, like see firsthand when I was a kid with him. But, but what can you tell us about something that was that just stands out to you about your memory, your fondest memory of your dad? Well, it's so many memories. Um, but I just think I think what well all of us we all have um, all of his girls we have a portion of him within us. Yeah. Um, he was good at so many things. He had so many great attributes and so many great gifts. I think um, the thing that I remember the most, will always remember the most about him is how he just maximized every single, I mean, if you think about one gift down to the last drop of how, how you craft that gift and how you use it, yeah. Dad squeezed every ounce of his ability that he put into almost everything he did. 
almost everything he did, he never did anything haphazard. He would rather not do it than to do anything by, um, you know, if he wasn't going to give 100% to it. He was like, well, babe, I can, you know, he'll, he'll diverge where he could commit to it. But if he could not give you hundred percent, he just would not do it. He wasn't built that way. Yeah. You know, somebody else, 90% of do 85, you know, that just was never, ever him. And, and the thing is even at 85%, somebody else would just be like, oh my God, this is amazing. He would look at it and that 15% would just bother him to no end. So it would be, it would be that 15% that he felt like he couldn't contribute would be torturous for him to just see. Um, And so he just would just use every ounce of his ability to do everything. I have never, I don't know anybody. (laughs) Sitting here really just thinking about it out loud. I don't know anybody that I can say without a shadow of a die empty. Meaning that they did not take one unused talent to the grave. I don't believe that took uh, unused talent to the grave. Yeah. That, do you know how remarkable it would be for somebody to say for the totality of one's life that when you closed your eyes, you maximize every single gifting that God gave you. Every single gift. Now, whether he has some internal gifts that he wanted to, to, to bring to maturation or not, I'm just talking about the ones that I know that he had yeah. that I could observe with my own eyes. I don't know one gift that dad did not take to the fullest extent that he could possibly do within his own power, his own knowledge base and his own right. And all of the gifts, as I can say without a shadow of a doubt, none of those gifts, unused gifts went to the grave. None of them. Yeah. And I want to be able to say that, that all the gifts that God gave us, we used <laughs> in their totality. But he did. And that's what makes him um, not that he's a perfect human being because he wasn't that. But he was just amazing in his ability to will gifts that God gave him and maximize them and utilize them for his own benefit and to benefit others. Um, and that he would just stretch himself. Yeah. And he would seek out another challenge, you know. And so I think that that's what I get from him. He had unbelievable drive. Whether that was in the military, whether that was as a, a recreational you know, instructor, whether that was a computer teacher, whether that was, you know what I'm saying, the fire department working in forensics, whether that related to music and D sharp and his ability to learn how to not just play music, but read music and formulate bands and then help you to do all of those things, right? Playing chess, everything he mm-hmm. did, he put his all into who who can we really say that i mean because again speaking to that about something that he said about the the hours in a day right it's not even enough you would think it's not enough hours in a day to accomplish so many of those things in everyday life that he accomplished and so i think back on just how well he utilized you know, all of his skills and basic like you said he didn't take any of those skills with him to the grave he no 
the, the idea that 23 hours, 56 minutes and 46 seconds stood out to me the most because he was always about getting the most out of life every single day. And he did just that. And I and just that. And I think to go one step further, I would say, I believe there's a portion of dad uh, because he has such unique qualities and, um, yeah. you know, that I would assume and I'm not him. But I would assume that this world was torturous for him in that he was surrounded by people um, that he worked with or, for instance, that were mediocre yeah. or people that was in his spirit influence that that wasn't really living up to their full potential. You could see where that would just be like a shot across the bow for him. Like it would just be torturous for him. Like, to see. him. Yeah, it, it, it bothered him. <laughs> it, it exactly. Bothered him a bit because I remember that conversation. And I would ask him about just racial disparities that he would oftentimes may have dealt with in, in the past or recently or whatever. And I asked him and I said, uh, have you ever been bo too bothered at the fact that you, in some cases, you're the only black man in the room or you're probably the smartest black man in the room and among, you know, other, you know, some of your constituents and colleagues who may have been of, you know, white descent. And he would say, well, you know what? I, I paid attention to that, but I don't let that bother me. You know why? Because mm -hmm. they're going to need my help. They, they're going to ask me for help. They're going to ask me, how do, how do I do this? How do I do that? And guess what? I'm going to be the person instructing them on how to do it. So I'm always a step ahead, even knowing that in some of those rooms, I am the only black man in that room. And mm -hmm. so he took pride and not he let that, something like that bother him in terms of those racial barriers, you know, and I'm pretty sure he's probably broke some of those racial barriers in years of his life throughout his career that probably, probably should be highlighted in a movie or something. But I mean, that, that speaks to how even understanding is, racism. Which, is, is, I'm, I'm going beyond yep. even that, which is, and I'm thinking about spiritual now. Yeah. I always think that dad had always arrived to a place um, spiritually where he was much further in his thought processes yeah. about spirituality than a lot of people understood him to be. Yeah. And I think that once you get to that place, mm -hmm. you, you begin to feel like, like don't belong here. You know what I mean? Yep. Not that you have ascended to some place that you cannot relate I just think that he had evolved to that place. Yeah. And um, and I think that he was just, I think he was just an awesome vessel that God used and, and people that come to this planet with those type of qualities. It, it's funny to me that they never seem to live a full life like Martin Luther King and Malcolm X, you know, those people that reach a point in them in their lives that it seems like they max themselves out or they get to a place where this is as far as I can go in this realm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I think about my dad in that way, whether that's right or wrong, but I think about him, um, not just his physical knowledge yeah. of his surroundings of what is known or seen. I also think about um, in his spirituality about what is not known and what is not seen. And he was also sure in that. He was very so we all sure. would love to get to that point. 
Absolutely. And, and you can I love him. Brilliant. The, the charismatic heart that he had, it couldn't be described no other way except spiritual. I mean, you, you can't care for life or care about your family. Look you cannot. The way he did. No. And not be linked to anything spiritual. You know what I mean? Other and, than yourself. It has to, you have to be tied in to be able to accomplish and live out a life of greatness. You yeah. got to have that higher source. That's what I'm getting at. Yeah. Being, being selfless like that, I mean, it, it, it speaks volumes to how, again, it, it also talks about our grandmother, who probably the most spiritual person that God probably ever created, right? So that, that, that's a testament to how, you know, he, he, he will oftentimes talk about how his mom would take him and his siblings to church all the time. And it was uh, something funny that our aunt said uh, about, uh, being uh, having a drug problem uh, growing up as a kid, which basically was they got drugged to church every Sunday. And so I thought that was so funny because I, I didn't know where she was going with that at first. I was just like, wait, uh, that don't sound right, Auntie. But then when she said that and broke it down, I was like, you know what? That sounds about right because I, I guarantee you all of us have been to church with our grandmother at, at some point in time and, now, and probably more than once. And, you know, and, and she was going to make sure that we were there on time, there attentively and listening, all that. And so I can, I can only imagine what that upbringing consisted of for him uh, in, in the spiritual sense, as far as growing up in a church that way and, and coming from a, a family of musicians. You know, everyone did something musically in, in, in the family that he grew up in. And so, you know, being a one of five, you know, uh, five of them, you know, as siblings, growing up with, you know, both their mom and their dad in the house and things like that, it, it it does speak to the kind of upbringing that he had and some of those traits that he took with him in his adult life, in his own parenthood, uh, and being able to share that information, you know, with with his own kids, grandkids, nieces and nephews. I mean, it, it's just, it, it's so amazing that you would think that someone would just be like, okay, you know what? This is a lot to kind of like take in with this one person did so many of these things. It's like, how were you able to even sleep? Like what, what time did you have for yourself? Exactly. And I just, I just want to add, you know, you know, I always tell them, I said, we got this, this family slogan, come big or stay home. Like don't even step foot outside the house. If you're not going to bring everything the table, the floor, the chairs, the tablecloth, the flowers, the gold, the poinsettias, and all that. Stay at home. Don't come <laughs> and not be prepared yep. for what you need to do. Be prepared for everything that could possibly happen. Yep. Come be or stay at home. That that is a, a a model that was consistently said a lot. So I I share that sentiment. Um, Deanna, okay, you had you had came in and out, so I, I want to kind of recap some things that we were talking about while you were uh, trying to get settled uh, in. And so, you know, I obviously asked the hundred million dollar question, right? How are you feeling? And to kind of circle back with that, I want to give you a chance to kind of share your your thoughts and feelings on, you know, the recent events that took place uh, just two months ago. Uh, but also, I want to also give you an opportunity to talk about just from your perspective, what's the most memorable thing that you remember? So by all means, you can start backwards and go and, and, and work your way back. Or you want to, uh, if you want to start with how you doing, which is oftentimes, you know, we've all been asked that question and, and never had a consistent answer to give anyone. Uh, but I, I do want to, you know, 
give you the opportunity to to share your thoughts and feelings on everything. <clears throat> All right. Thank you. Um, I'm going to keep it short and brief. How am I doing? Um, not well. I don't know another way to put that. Um, my sincerest um, sympathy and condolences always go out to anyone who has lost a loved one. Um, and God forbid you've lost um, a parent. What I try to explain to people and I'm very honest in what I'm saying. Losing a parent to murder is different. Yeah. I've lost a parent before and you feel like half of you has died. Yeah. And losing a parent to murder, you feel like half of you has been murdered. That is how I feel. Half of me has been murdered. Um, so that's how I feel. And, and I am not okay. And many people, when they lose people to um, violent and horrific crimes, I don't think that they are. Yeah. Um, one of the most memorable, memorable things about dad for me is his intelligence. Oh, Deanna, that's, you know, that sounds a little bit elite. Maybe it is, judge it however you would like to judge it. But for me, it was his intelligence for the most part, because I've been in the field of education for 20 years and I've taught in the classroom and I've coached teachers and trained teachers and trained instructional coaches. Now I'm always in this teaching role, this mentoring role, um, this role where I am providing information to others. When I talk to dad, I could always take off that teacher trainer coordinator yeah. um coaching hat and I could be taught and I could be mentored um and I can be instruct I could be instructed um and that's that's a great thing when you can just breathe a sigh of relief and look around and say oh my god I don't have to teach anybody actually in just having an organic conversation with someone that I deeply love and respect I'm going to leave this conversation, this encounter, knowing, knowing more than what I knew when I first engaged this person. Yeah. I'm going to learn some new vocabulary word. I am going to learn about some, some kind of scientific concept. I'm going to learn about some historical event. I am going to learn something that I did not know. Yeah. And... I'm going to walk away and I'm going to be enlightened. I'm going to walk away and say, damn, I really could be doing more for the whole, you know, world maybe. Um, or damn, have I been truthful with myself about this? Or damn, is that what I really think about Christianity? Or is that just what I've been socialized to believe? Yeah. Um, when we talk about pushing ourselves to the limit, pushing yourself to the limit um, emotionally. Can I grow emotionally, right? Um, can I grow um, psychologically? And the answer to all of those things is yes. It's yes, it's yes, it's yes. Um, but with him, it was always this challenge of, okay, you can always learn something new. You can always grow. 
You should be doing those things if you're a living being. But the question becomes, are you willing to do the work to do so? So with him, I walked away learning something new. And then with this new challenge of, am I willing to do the work to apply the knowledge I just gained in order to make my life better or someone else's life around me better? So I can hear him now saying, okay, you got the knowledge, but now what are you going to do with it? Yep. Right? Um, so I walked away again, and not to be redundant, just two things. I know something, but now the question is, what the hell am I going to do with what I know now? Yep. So that, yeah. that is what's most memorable about him to me. Yeah, he, um, yeah, just reiterate something I said earlier about how, you know, applied knowledge it's the, it's the true power, right? You can't say you know something if you don't apply it. Then how can you say you know it? And that's something that he was big on saying, you know, consistently enough and just stuck with me in such a way that, like, like you said, as far as challenging you, if, if something in life don't challenge you, it won't change you. And I can truly say just by listening to everybody's, you know, just stories about, you know, what they learned and what, what their most memorable moments uh, uh, about him were, I can I can truly say that I know that we've all taken those very lessons and not only applied it to our own lives as individuals, but we also try to like make it so that we did the same thing with, you know, with us that who have children or even other family members or friends or even our own students. For those of you who are in education, both Deanna, you and Dakita, you know, with you all being in education, I, I know for a fact that every single lesson that you guys learned, you were turning it around and, and teaching your your children the, the, the same thing. And so uh, that, that just that oftentimes will speak to the level of intellect and passion for education that a person like him had. Right. And you, you just don't you don't find people who who are just that excited about learning to where they're learning new things every single day. And, and not just for the sake of having it for themselves, but to disperse that information out to those who may not know it and, and, and be able to say that, you know, at the, at the end of it, at the end of the day, not only did you learn something new from this person, but you also learn ways to apply it, even similar to what that person, you know, taught you. And he was just that, that kind of, teacher or instructor, if you will, being a student of life, being a, a very studious person, he would, um, he took pride in, in just life in general. And to circle back about just how, you know, this, this devastation of, you know, losing him has, made us all take a step back in life and just reevaluate where we are, what our place is in life and what our true purpose is, because this was a man living out his purpose every single day. There was nothing that he did that was half stepping it. Like you all said, he, he went a hundred percent with everything he did, everything he said he was doing. He was never a person to, to be do as I say, not as I do. He was doing the very thing that he said too, because he knew that to, the true essence of being an example is not only instructing someone else to do it, but obviously following that same path yourself. And um, 
No, I, I'm truly honored and, and very appreciative to have not only him as you know my role model and him being a hero to all of us, but having each and every one of you in my life has you know impacted me in such a way that I'm as hard as it is to wake up every single day, I'm still pushing with the idea in my head that I, I got to keep going. I have to. I don't know how this day is going to end. I don't know what's going to come about today. I just know that I have to keep fighting. I have to keep applying every single thing that I know. Because at the end of the day, there's still people out there who are lost, who need our guidance, who need our words of encouragement, uh, our help, any kind of way. And we're seeing that now with so much of the crime that's been going on, which is what I'm transitioning to now to talk about a little bit. All of us are products of Chicago. We're products, not only Chicago, Inglewood, for that matter. I remember days growing up in Chicago where days, it, it wasn't as bad as it is now. And obviously the crime has catastrophically gone to a place where it's almost uncontrollable. Um, just last year, it was over 1,300 carjackings alone in one year, the fact that they came at the hands of, of young people, so young as 10 years old, it speaks to how society, the community, every facet you can think of have dropped the ball collectively with how our future generations are being raised or taught or lack thereof. And so it, it got me thinking about this question that obviously I wanted to ask um, a community activist who was going to be on the show, but obviously couldn't make it. Um, but I want to direct this question to you all. And I start back circling at the top. Um, what is it that, because obviously th this is an onion, right? Th these are layers and layers of things of issues that we have to tackle and deal with in this world and society. But primarily in this particular instance, we're talking about the, the community of Chicago, the city of Chicago, with there being so many of these crimes happening. And, you know, oftentimes the, the news and the media want to portray it as, oh, this is gang related. When in fact, most of these situations and incidents aren't even really tied to any gang relations. It's just young lost children and young people out doing stupid things with, with no intent no purpose, no reasoning whatsoever behind it. And these carjackings in particular are just, you know, the the things that the one thing that's in the forefront in terms of what they're involving themselves with. And they're doing it mostly to score brownie points in the streets or to you know, go on joy rides in, in people's cars that they haven't worked for themselves. And it just talks and, and it also resonates with me in such a way that this man in particular our loved one, this father, this husband, this uncle, this everything. He, he worked hard for what he deserved. And he was always an advocate of you get what you, what you earn. You work for what you earn in life. And I remember a conversation I had with him before he got that Jeep that he got. And he showed me a pitch, uh, several pictures of it. We were at Giordano's. 
and we were sitting waiting for our pizza to come. And he was just saying, what, what do you think about this Jeep? And I would say to him, and first kind of a similar, a quick backstory about what we nieces and nephews call him. Um, if you know him, you would know that no niece or no nephew has ever called him Uncle Dwayne. We have, well, black families, what I love and appreciate about black families is Moses. We have nicknames for each and everything, every person, everyone has a nickname and it's tied to something that's significant for that particular family, right? So there are many, many reasons or definitions behind the, the two letters TC that I can, that I alone couldn't speak to. Uh, his siblings could, you know, can, can contest to this and, and, and speak to this more so than any of us. But I mean, obviously you all have stories behind that, that name TC as well. And so. Well, grandma um, said that he was her, this is from grandma, grandma. Yeah. I remember this one. Grandma said that he was the smallest baby. He was the smallest baby that she had. And he was so small that she called him teensy. Yeah. And she would call that, you know, uh, nickname to him all throughout his childhood. And so when he would go out and play and she would call him, she would call him teensy ho hollering down the block and the neighborhood children assumed that she was saying TC yeah. and it wasn't. And the name or nickname TC stuck. And some people call him Tease, but um, yeah, that's where the nickname TC came from. And that, he got stuck yeah. with it. That on top of uh, our uncle Jimmy, uh, also shared a story about how when they were growing up, how rebellious uh, your dad was in terms of you know, out of the five of them, right? So he was the one that always wanted there to be different. He did things, you know, differently than everybody else, which kind of worked out in his favor if you think about it, right? <laughs> because he he never, he always stood out and he was always about standing out. And so he he said to me about how, TC eventually like grew into treacherous child and, <laughs> and how, and it spoke to how rebellious he was growing up. And so that, that name alone carried with him all his life. And so, uh, but just the conversation though, about that Jeep, he was, I was like, Oh, TC, what, why, why do you need a Jeep that need, that, that goes this fast? Why, where, where are you going? I was like, you're going to get pulled over in this Jeep. And then I thought, I said, that was stupid of me to say this man is known in Chicago. The, the Chicago Police Department, Fire Department, they know him. They they work with him if they're not working with him now. If he get pulled over, the police will probably be like, hey, Dwayne, take it easy on, on the heavy foot, man. You can't be out here joyriding. We didn't know it was you. And, and he would probably be like, well, you know, I was just testing it out. You know, I, I didn't mean to go this fast, this long. I just wanted to show my 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 nephew or my niece or my daughters just how fast it go, right? So, and I, and, but, I, but I also remember just how happy he was to even express this was his dream car. This is the, the one car that he, he loved the most. And and I thought to myself, I said, you know what? Who am I to tell him he, he shouldn't have this? He worked hard for this. This was his money. This was his doing. He earned the right 
to want to get whatever he wanted out of life. And, and, and that show, and he will oftentimes tell us that he, you work hard, you play hard, you play hard and you get what you rightfully deserve. And so, you know, uh, you know, talking to him about that. And when he finally got it, you know, he would test it. He would test the speed on it quite a bit. And that, <laughs> this man, would, he he took pride in scaring the crap out of people in that car, knowing that he knew exactly how to drive it. But he didn't, he didn't care that you was you were scared even in the passenger seat. You knew he was going to be okay. You just didn't know when this was going to end. <laughs> and so, um, you know, it's just certain things that he actually found joy in. And um, I mean, often, people would often point to that as, you know, it being materialistic. But no, I mean, he wasn't a materialistic person. But the fact that that was a car that he himself worked hard to get, he had every right to get it. And to have young people in the world to want things so instantaneously not and not work for it. It kind of speaks to the very crime that we're talking about now with carjackings. And that's what, that's what I'm oftentimes thinking about is how can you possibly go ahead and take something from someone else who worked for it when you yourself didn't work for it. And all you have to do is just go out there and earn what you want not taking it from somebody else. How, who, who are you to, to, take, to tell somebody else they can't have something that they worked hard for? And so that, that pain turns into anger whenever I think about that because, I mean, he was a, he was a, a hardworking man who deserved anything, anything that he worked hard for. In fact, he deserved more than just that Jeep. He, he it's indescribable when we're talking about how this level of crime has just taken its taken a name for itself in terms of seeing how these young people who the community has failed, the politicians have failed, the parents have failed, the police have failed. So many layers to this onion that needs to be peeled back in order to get to the root of it, that there's no one solution. There's no one size fit all type of solution to fix all of this. And so I would oftentimes, one of the, the main premise behind this show is to not only highlight those people who are in the trenches and on the front lines, making an immediate impact in the community in which they serve, but to also give them their flowers while they're here and to show appreciation for what you do and why you do it and how you're able to influence and affect and impact others to do the same thing for themselves and for their communities. Because we, we oftentimes don't see them being celebrated enough. And he was a man that deserved to be celebrated every single day because of so much that he had done. And um, so I wanna transition real quick to talk a little bit about where we are right now in terms of how we're moving forward with honoring his life in such a way that we, if, if he was here today, he would be proud of all of us for doing just that, doing that work to honor him in, in, in this way, to this capacity. So, um, Kenya, I wanna start with you on this in terms of where we are with the foundation that we are starting or have started and 
just the long-term and short-term goals as it pertains to honoring this man and hoping that we, we do him a proper justice. Okay. Well, um, through this tragedy, I think all of us collectively as a family have been trying to um, think of ways where we can honor dad and all his work and the person that he was. And um, of course, even as we're going through this grieving process, we're, we're, we're asking ourselves the question on what would my dad do and what would he want and what would make him proud, you know? Um, so we started the, the um, Lieutenant Dwayne P. Williams Inc. Foundation. Um, and the foundation, in essence, as we mold over all of the questions that you posed to us just now, Joey, like, the, you know, like, how do we begin to right the wrongs, fix the issues within the African-American community or just communities overall? Yeah. Um, and what we determined was that there was a fundamental lack of resources, as you can only imagine, in marginalized communities, communities of color. Um, and in meeting with a lot of the representatives for the community that dad is in, um, we determined that there is not just a lack of resources, there is a lack of knowledge concerning what is available yeah. for families, what opportunities that they may have, right? And so it's hard for um, it's hard for people to seek help when they don't even know what's out there to be assistance to their families, to themselves. So what we decided to do was to start this foundation as a bridge between existing resources. Right. And also we wanted to be a bridge to new resources meaning what does not exist in the community that needs to be implemented, right? And in those things that are already implemented, how can we be the link to those resources that can unlock all the opportunities to families within the community? That is the generalized goal for us to be able to do this in Chicago. However, long-term vision is for us to be able to take this foundation and transition it to urban cities all across the United States. We believe that us deploying these resources and assets and building bridges and links that we can also foster a sense of community, right? And take that same spark and just ignite it across the country. So that's the hope and the goal. Um, we're still building to that. Um, we have partnered with the Black Fire Brigade. I think you mentioned them earlier, Joy. Um, I don't know if they're going to, if you're going to have them on your show, but that would be a phenomenal guest. Yeah. And the Black Fire Brigade sends um, um, boys and girls, men and women, ages 18 through 30, through their EMT program. And then once they are able to achieve their EMT, they can go two separate pathways um, in the fire department, either the paramedics route or the firefighter, um, firefighter route. But the goal is to get them through the EMT class. And so we have been putting um, people through and funding people to go through that class through a partnership with the Black Fire Brigade. But we also want to do more. We want to 
partner with Moms Against Violence. We want to partner with um, entities and organizations that reduce guns from being in the in the hands of African American kids and in the wrong people's possession. We want to make sure that we are keeping young people out of gangs and off the streets. All of those things you can accomplish by way of resources and opportunities. And so the, the foundation is really there to be the bridge between all of those different facets because it's not a one size fits all. Absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah, uh, yeah, I, I uh, reached out to the Black Fire Brigade and I'm um, hoping that in the next up, upcoming weeks, I'll be able to have someone from their organization to kind of shed some light on, you know, what the fundamental purpose of the organization is, uh, what influence and involvement that, you know, your dad played in being part of the Black Fire Brigade and how, how they're looking to expand the organization throughout the country. I mean, I, from my understanding, they uh, started in Chicago, but, you know, obviously they're looking to go to other you know, cities and states worldwide. So hoping that, uh, you know, that we can be, you know, advocate for that too, because that's something that's a way to honor, to honor him because of just his involvement and overall influence uh, in that organization. And, you know, just the pride that he took in, in, in being a fireman too. And just, you know, it's funny how he adopted the whole notion of having Hero 911 uh, as his license plate before anybody else got a chance to even do that. And so, that, that that talks about how how proudful he was and how proud he was to be a fireman to save lives and serve the city of Chicago. And um, you know, definitely like I said, I'll be looking to have them on the show in another episode to kind of help have them speak towards that. And um you know, definitely uh and, and what ways we can obviously help with get more young people enrolled in the EMT program to possibly become, you know, members of the paramedic or you know, be a fireman. And so um that's something that we can definitely, you know, help contribute towards to, you know, honor and keep his memory alive in that regard. And I look forward to that. Yes. Uh, and right now, currently in, in the city of Chicago, this is, a, you know, right now, Chicago has the lowest amount of African-American firefighters in the history of the city. And so what we want to do is to make sure that we're providing the right opportunities. Um, we found out that there are some discrepancies and some deficiencies in the way um, that some of these colleges are admitting, admitting people of color into their program. So now that's a whole nother issue. So we wanna be a bridge, but we wanna disrupt all of those processes that are not allowing people to be able to, to seek higher education, to further their education, to provide hope, to, you know, to provide a doorway if they wanna become firefighters. And so we have to make sure that we are we're looking at systemic racism. Yep. Um, we're looking at, you know, not just opportunities, but there are some systematic things that may need to be disrupted. And we're willing to take on that challenge where we see fit. Um, we definitely want to partner with the city of Chicago and in urban areas across the United States, but we also want to look at the status quo, especially if it is not working. Yeah, absolutely. And figure out what we can do. Absolutely. Uh, those those barriers yeah, still exist, not even just in Chicago, but, you know, throughout the country. And, you know, the fact that, you know, Chicago as segregated as, and corrupt as it still is in some cases, you know, I, I take pride in being from Chicago, knowing that a black man founded the city. Right. And so having this man in particular, 
who was a fireman and who served the community in such a way that should alone be evident that we as black people are capable of being just that smart, just that studious and just that ambitious to want to make a difference in the community. That, that alone should be a way that the, that the city remembers him and honors him in that way. And so I also want to give a, a shout out and appreciation to the city of Chicago, preferably Mayor Lightfoot for, you know, engaging with us in, in, in these last few weeks and months um, after the incident happened. Um, letting us know that they're looking to you know, honor him in a way to name a room in, in, in one of the fire stations after him. It's definitely something we really do appreciate. We appreciate the Chicago Police Department and Fire Department and all entities that were involved in apprehending these four assailants and, 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 and capturing them and, and making sure that they uh, are being brought to justice as we speak. And so uh, yeah, I would be remiss if I didn't mention them in that regard because we do appreciate all of their help and knowing how how long processes like this usually takes and how how, how long it, it happens, the fact that things were expedited because he was a public servant and because, you know, the city of Chicago you know, knew him and appreciated and respected him in such a way that they they knew that this was a high priority case to, to tend to. And just now I hope the people who are listening take the level of relativity from this episode that, you know, we too have suffered the loss of a loved one at, at the hands of a, a heinous crime being committed by young people. And with that happening too often, too much and far too damn long, we want to, yeah, uh, something that Deanna said is extend our condolences to those who, uh, who are fighting this same fight that we're fighting and dealing and grieving in the same way that we're grieving in terms of losing, losing someone so gigantic in our lives that we find it hard for us to even wake up every single day. But we know the best ways to honor him is to get up and and, and keep pushing for that very change that we want to see. And because he was about making that kind of type of impact and change in, in, in everyone's life that he ever come in contact with. And so, yeah, we, again, to the city of Chicago, to all those entities uh, who were involved in this process and in this case, we want to just send out sincerest thanks and appreciation to you all for doing what you have done. Um, you know, obviously we are working to do some things long-term and short-term in terms of the foundation goals. Uh, and we, we hope to, you know, get the neighborhood that he lived on that street named after him as well. And so I want to make sure I mention that too, because that's such a, a high honor. And I and I've always you know looked at that as a as a high honor to have someone be recognized for their their selflessness and their just their overall charismatic approach and want to help serve and save people. That's something that we this world needs much more of because this is a lot of hatred and vitriol and just overall just malice that exists in this world so much that not often enough is recognition for love, charismatic uh, appreciation and things of that nature is not being highlighted enough. And so I want to be on the right side of history when acknowledging those who are doing the things that needs to be done from a moral compass perspective. I'm not doing things just because it's in the right of the constitution. I'm doing things because it's right to do. And, you know, following the footsteps of my uncle who, was a man of, of strong character. He was a, 
uh, such an influence on people's lives that again, I, we all hope to be, to leave our marks on this world the way he did. And, um, for that, I am very appreciative in, in not only knowing him, but having him in my life for the number of years I did have him. Um, obviously it's, it's human beings, you know, and our feelings are concerned, you know, we, we can always feel like we didn't have enough time with them. And, and that's okay because all of the fond memories that we have of him will live on with us forever and will be carried through our everyday lives and with our children as well and grandchildren also. And the fact that he was able to be alive to not only see grandchildren, but great grandchildren too, that, that, that is something indeed special. And I hope that, I hope each and every one of us are able to be alive to say that we saw that even if it's for a moment or two, but the fact that to be alive and to see great grandchildren and great, great grandchildren for that matter, that's, that's a special accomplishment, I think. And, um, you know, for that, I do appreciate and respect even more about him as well. Um, on a, uh, a funnier note about him, I want to make sure I, I mention this too, because this is one of the things that he and I both laughed about. And I laughed about it more than he did because it was about him. So um, whenever I get a chance to come back to Chicago, because I, I, I think I left this to the wrong people to look for. So I'm, I'm going to look for this myself because I, I need this for my own sanity. So when he went to school, when he went, we was in high school, his prom, uh, I remember first hearing about this picture and then seeing it. Like I didn't physically get a chance to actually touch the picture, but I saw it in video. So I said to myself, I need to get my hands on this picture because I'm going to have this like on my shelf in my house somewhere. I want people to know that this man was literally a man of many hats. And so in describing this picture, I'm thinking about it right now and I'm laughing to myself just how hard I was laughing at him. So his prom picture consisted, and back then this was in the seventies, right? So we, I, I understand that the fashion was different and you know, everyone wore platform shoes and bell bottles, but this particular man took it steps or probably eons further than what the status quo was. So I wanna make sure I do a proper justice by describing this suit, his prom suit exactly. So this man not only wore a top hat, not only wore bell bombs, not only wore platforms, but he had a cane and a long coat to go with it. And I told him, well, I asked him first, I said, so let me, let me get this right. So you were probably one of the ones that put this suit on the bed the night before prom with the shoes at the bottom of the bed and stood back and looked at it and said, they ain't ready for this. <laughs> I, I laughed so hard at him about this prom suit that he himself had to laugh because the only justification of this was, hey, well, man, you know, it was a style back then, Jack. So, you know, hey, I, I, I wanted to stand out. And I said, oh, you did just that. If you didn't do nothing else, you stood out. And so this prom suit, 
I think you know what how you know how celebrities, whenever a celebrity passed away and they like really famous and they're famous for like different wardrobes and stuff like that. That suit needs to be put in the Smithsonian Museum in DC to honor this man <laughs> and just how much fashion sense he didn't have when it came to that prom suit. <laughs> I, <laughs> I never let him live that down. I was like, it was green and it had a cape. It had a cape. It had a cape. The long cape. It had a cape. It was a cape. And on the underside of the cape was orange. So you got that two tone. So he 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 was green and orange, and he was already six three with platforms on. So yeah, he was doing it. He was doing it big. He was killing it, boy. You couldn't tell this man nothing. But I had to tell him a few things. One of those things being that, that I don't know when this was supposed to be in style, but this wasn't the style. I don't know what you was thinking about. And if you would relive this moment in life, would you do this again? And he said, hey, man, you know, listen, I thought it was pretty cool. I said, I I would imagine you thought it was cool to wear this. <laughs> this man, oh my God. So I'm not gonna leave it to any of you all to find this picture for me. I've asked y'all a million times for this. Y'all can't even deliver this much. See, I can't even expect y'all or even ask y'all to do this much for me. So guess what? I'm gonna You're not gonna talk about my daddy. You I, ain't gonna do it. You ain't going, gonna talk about my daddy. And mom's got that picture. I know mom, that picture is in the photo in, in a photo album, locked away from your nabby hands. Cause my daddy thought he was sharp and he was. He was a sharp dude. Every time daddy showed up when biker shorts first came out. Daddy had his, look at Keita, her hands is up. She came <laughs> When biking shorts came up and daddy came and got us and daddy stepped out the, he, that's when he had that Mustang. When daddy stepped out that car, he had the biking shorts on. With the socks pulled all the way up to his knees and his British nights. Why did he? And he had, and he had the oh, fanny pack on. I with was the fanny like, pack. we was done. I was done, son. And the name, in the words of my niece, I was done, son. Woo! Oh. That's too much for your daughters to see, daddy. You got, that's just way more information than we need to know. That was a proud that, dad. That was the worst fashion statement that my that father was, has you ever. You take that from him. That was a proud dad moment. In them tube socks. Baby, that, was, that was too much. I don't think any oh, man God. should wear biking pants. <laughs> not your father. Not your father. Mm -mm. <laughs> Definitely not your daddy. Oh, no. This is hilarious. But you know what? Auntie Karen, I, I want I want to ask you this. I, please find that picture for me. I am going to not only frame that picture, I'm going to find an artist who can paint that picture for me too. I need several copies of that picture. However many I can get my hands on, I, I need that picture. If you if you do nothing else for me, I will never ask you for anything else. I need that picture. Can I, you, can you, can, can you? I don't know. What'd you say, Auntie Karen? You, 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 uh, you putting yourself on mute. Okay, there I am. You hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. Yeah. Okay, I have to 
Now that's new to me. I, I really, I've never seen that picture. That's that's new to me. <laughs> oh my God. He ain't even mentioned or talked to you about that. He probably, he probably was like, there was an inner shame that he didn't want to mention it, but I, I probably should have mentioned it around everybody else j just so I can get a laugh out of him. Cause he, there, seeing me was, laugh made him laugh about that. There was a recreation of that, of that photo. You do know that he dressed one of his grandchildren for prom, and it looks dang near like the same picture, uh, no. minus who, the platform. Who was? One is it was Zion. Oh my! Zion had the hat. No. And the suit. Yes, he did. <laughs> yes, he did. So, yeah, there's two of those floating around. You, Honey, my nephew was flying now. You let this. Oh my God. You let this man do him. Oh my God. That is and, hilarious. And my mom always, she always told me TC stood for Top Cat. Top Cat, yep. Because, yep. because he wore, he was all, he always came out with his, <laughs> with his bell bottoms and his platforms and the, and the hat. The hat. And yep. that, so it he always like thought he was flat. He was just like that planter's peanut dude. Like that, that, that was so funny about it. So, yeah. and I told him that. <laughs> I told him that, and he he really didn't have much to say except for, "Hey, man, listen, it was it was a style back then, Jack." And his his terminology was still stuck in 1970. This man yeah. said, "Jack, cool." He said, "Jack, he was everything." Cool. It, no, he yeah. would say this cat, man, this cat here, that man. cat, man. This cat here, man. See, listen. yeah, 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 yeah. It was, it was, it was, oh. it was. Dad never um, would curse. The most that he would say to me sometimes would be, "How did I know Daddy was upset when he was uh, when we were uh, kids?" Daddy was like, he was pissed to the highest of pissivity, and I was like, "Oh, that's that's." <laughs> <laughs> that's that's pretty upsetting. <laughs> yeah, he was pissed now, now off to the highest of festivity. So yeah, his voice carried a lot of weight and bass too. So whenever he did get upset, and his voice, like it, he put some aggression behind it, he put an emphasis him. on something. He would go, and then I said, yeah. and I told him, I said, and then you were gonna do that too. And he would yeah. always say. An emphasis on, and yep. then you would, you know, da, 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 and it does. It would always be the emphasis on the last word he would say, and that's how you knew he was. So his, his voice. Well, they didn't call me either. Yeah, you know, he would go. He would just. He would. Yeah, but his voice didn't need a microphone to to even hear him to be loud. You heard that voice without a microphone by a landslide, and it, and his favorite song, Rick James, Super Freak. Oh my God. He's a very freaky girl. Dun, 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 dun. You don't take home the mother. And he would just, she would never let your spirits down when you see her on the street. I mean, that was, that was, she liked the boys in the band. And I was like, why, why, daddy? Out of all the songs you want to see, that was, that was one of his favorite songs. Being, being a musician, man, I mean, he, he played the guitar. He played the bass guitar like it was made a sing. Man, he made that thing sing, and and even even learning how to you know obviously play the piano too, play the organ. Um, his brother, my father, of course, was a pianist, 
And, you know, coming from a musical family, everyone did something, right? Everyone knew either how to sing, how to play an instrument. And it, it just spoke to his love, his passion and his love for music too grew in such a way that he, he ended up having his own band, the, the Mixed Nuts. And I asked him, what was the whole meaning behind that name? I'm like, the name don't sound too right. He was like, well, listen, we all, we're a bunch of old guys. We're a bunch of, we're a bunch of nutcases. So you put us all together, you can describe me as a peanut, one as a cashew, one as a pecan, one as a, you know, uh, uh, what's the other nut? Um, yeah, he said it represented the diversity of the group. Yeah, exactly. So it, it's just, I, I thought that and was- And they were creative. all nuts because, they were all nuts because they ran at, in, inside a burning building when everybody else was running out. Exactly. <laughs> With them being firemen and, and uh, you know, that, that just spoke to how, full of life yeah. he was. He lived his life to the fullest, man. And it's, again, speaking about every single day he woke up, it was always yeah. a new adventure for him. And yeah. He had just come back from, what was the Bahamas, Jamaica, Jamaica teaching. Jamaica. Jamaica. That was his second time teaching. So he has taught all over the place. He's trained all over the place. He had a band in the, in the Navy. I mean, not the Navy, in the Army. Called Ram. Ram. It was Ram. 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 So he. Ram. I, no, they, I, I didn't they, know that. They, I didn't know. High, that. It's high levels. It's Daddy Academy played of music. for um. What was it? Olive Harvey. So, mm -hmm. and he played basketball. He was on the basketball team there. So, that. he he's. He did everything. I don't, I don't like again. I the when the when the newscaster said the dad was a Renaissance man. That's probably I don't know anybody who did not do almost yeah. everything. That's probably the best way to describe him. I remember when we were swimming, um, and we would be swimming in Ogden Park and we would always try to splash water at Daddy. You know, you thinking you splashing water, and Daddy would take his long, big arms and swoop that water, and it was like a typhoon. You would be choking on water. We were like, "This is not a fair fight. This is," but they, you know, Daddy would pick us up and throw us to the other side of the pool. I mean, this was we would jump on his back and try to take him down, and he would just be slinging us left to the right. I mean, he taught us how to swim. So yeah. And he could swim like a shark. Like All of them could. All of them could. That's the thing, though. It's like to hear him and Uncle Jimmy both have said this on a number of occasions where their fathers forced him to swim that way, too. And they, and they said, and Jimmy, Uncle Jimmy recently said that in all of his years of living and, and spending time with his dad, he never, he never saw granddaddy father swim one time. Not so one. He, you know, to this day, if he knew how to swim, but he knew that he made them know how to swim, though. And I'm just like, that is. Granddaddy made sure we knew because he didn't mind throwing us in, but daddy always made sure that he was in the pool when daddy, uh, granddaddy threw us in. And it was literally sink or swim. <laughs> it was. And, and, and everybody learned how to swim at Argon Park. I know at Ogden Park. I, know I how learned to how to tread water to save myself, and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> but oh my God! It, again, we can—I mean, we can just talk on and on for for days and hours about just so many different things that that he did and what he meant, and uh, you know, and, and it still wouldn't be enough to talk about, or it wouldn't even be enough hours in a day to mention 
other things that some of us may have may not have known to the full extent as to what he did and what he participated in. And so I just, you know, I, I wanted to take this time, man, to, you know, it, it's hurtful and as hard as it's been on all of us to, you know, wake up every single day to, to this new reality, at, at least give us some type of avenue and, and way to remember him in such a way that we, we laugh and smile about the many memories that we have of him, things he said, things he did, and um, just overall experiences and time that we have with him. I know um, it, it was a proud moment for me even when I graduated from high school, he came to my high school graduation. You, Hunter Kieran, you were there with him too. And um, I had this picture of me giving him my engineering Kente cloth. Yeah, and, well, I, I still have it. <clears throat> yeah. And, um, you know, I, I remember telling him, I said, I, because of you, uh, you know, you helped influence me. I've always wanted to be in the field of science and technology, even as a kid. But obviously learning the things I learned from him helped inspire and ignite that that inspiration altogether. And being going off into the uh, the technology field, you know, getting my degrees and things like that, I I do, you know, appreciate and acknowledge him and recognize him for his influence on my life uh, in that regard because he was, I mean, he was so smart and knew so much and I'm just like the one time I was able to even just say I knew something that he didn't know was in regards to my own profession and I'm like ah so you don't know that let me well let me break this down let let me talk to you about what I do and so and I think in a way he he went back and started to look into what I was doing and then we kind of had some of the conversations after and then he started telling me a little bit about it I'm like oh so you you researched that okay all right, it's nice to know that you paying attention, but it, it's those, those are the type of conversations that I will never forget, and um, we always appreciate and we we'll always look towards whenever I'm thinking about him in a way that would make me laugh or smile about the many experiences and the times that you know we had spending together, and I know all of you could do the same thing, and so <clears throat> yeah, I definitely. I'm happy to know that doing this, I, I didn't know what was going to come about even during this episode, if I was going to even be emotionally able to do it. And if any of us were, but I do from the bottom of my heart, really do appreciate every last one of you all for joining me and, and being on this episode to especially pay honor and tribute to a man that, can't be summed up in one word, but if it was one word, it would be renaissance. That that speaks tremendous volumes to how he, he made the best of life and hope to inspire those around him to do the same thing. And so, you know, with that being said, you know, I want to give anybody the floor for any last words that you would like to share in regards to him. Um, by all means, do so. Um, and if not, and, you know, I thank you from the bottom of my heart. I love each and every one of you all and appreciate you all sharing, not only with me, but with, you know, listeners and followers of the show who can relate to losing someone so dynamic in their lives that they, they can see the relativity and, you know, just how hard it is to go on with life after such a heinous crime has been committed against that person. And so... 
again, I appreciate you all. I, um, any 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 final words from anybody if that you'd like to share in regards to him or the foundation or anything, just anything in general as it relates to him? Well, I first want to say um, how super proud we are of your um, podcast and the um, the the you know the information that you're sharing and the work that you're doing. I know Daddy would be very proud. Um, the reason why we started the organization was because Dad was a victor and not a victim, and that's how he would want us to live our lives. Um, we are here to support and help um, not just one another, but our community as well. Even though we are in the Atlanta area, um, you know, born and bred, Chicago, all the way. Yep. And so anything that we can do to uh, carry on the work of dad, which is what he was going back to work to do. He was going to go back to work um, <laughs> for uh, the city again and so that was uh, that was that was what he wanted and so that's what we're going to continue to do so you continue to do the work that you're doing little cousin even though we like to smack you around it's okay but we want you to know that we love you and we support your show and we thank you for inviting us on um, to talk about dad and share yeah and this this will be a continuation um this, will, this is just part one of, you know, many parts that we'll be sharing with the world in, in regards to the foundation and just keeping his memory alive in general. And so, you know, I, I thought it would be, I thought it would only make sense to make the first show of the year be about him in particular because of just how influential and how loving and caring of a person and a man he was to all of us. And it, it would only make sense to highlight that and honoring him in such a way that this show is dedicated to him. Um, yeah. Dr. Karen, would you like to say anything to you, uh, as well? Um, I want to, I want to, can you hear me? I can hear you. I, I can't see you, but I can hear you. Okay. Um, I agree with all the above that has been said. I want to extend my thanks to you for doing this podcast. Uh, podcast. And I know Dwayne was, is right now smiling on this and on you. And he's so proud of you and I'm so proud of you. And um, I wanna thank um, all our supporters out there who are supporting us in our endeavors, the city, the, um, the uh, fire department, police department, all the citizens that are um, rooting for us and supporting us and um, I'm, I remain hopeful and um, <clears throat> want to succeed in what we're trying to do, what we're doing. And um, I'm going to continue to try to live my life with one philosophy. He used to say, finish strong. And um, I guess that's about it. Just thank you. I'm so proud of my family. And um, uh, we're going to live in the in the in the spirit of Dwayne, and we're going to continue to um, um, promote his legacy because it's it's worthy, and it will be beneficial to the world to whoever is um, have the the opportunity to 
to um, listen to it and listen and be involved. Absolutely. I would say he lived a life that um, cannot can never be imitated, can never be duplicated. Um, but all we can do is emulate it. And so that's what we're going to live our life doing, emulating and carrying forth the um, all of the things that he lived by. He would tell us often that he was proud of us. Yeah. And I remember him saying, if anything was to ever happen to him or, you know, ever, he was like, I just want y'all to know that I'm OK. I'm OK. I'm so proud of y'all. And I know that y'all will be OK. I will, you know, you know, you always want to get to that place as a parent where you say, okay, it was a point where I didn't want to go. I'm like, well, I, I'll get, they got to get it together, you know, but yeah. he said, y'all are in a place right now where I believe that if anything was to ever happen to me, y'all would be okay. I'm okay. I did, yeah, man, I'm proud. I did. When I look back over my life, I've, God has been good to me. I've had a good life. That's what he would say. And that is what Absolutely. I mean when I say spiritually, dad was someplace that we only hope to be. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so that's how we're going to live. We're going to live our life that way. We're going to make him proud. And um, the foundation has a lot of things that's coming in June. We have a, um, a community fair with a rally that's associated with it. I think Joy already talked about the street being named after him. Um, also, the fire department is gonna name one of their newest fire stations, one of the room after him, and that's gonna be a ceremony. So it's a lot, lot more to come pertaining to the foundation. So we'll come back and be able to talk about those things as they happen, but we're gonna do great things with this foundation because it's for dad and he wouldn't have it any other way. Absolutely. And he deserved just those, those types of recognition and, and more. And, uh, and I look forward to those many, those many things that we're going to be doing in the future to make sure that we honor him in such a way that it is profound and, and speaks to the exact type of person that he was. Um, if you did anything you would like to share before we conclude. I, I really don't have too much else to say. Um, everyone has spoken so eloquently. Um, I'm just ready to to con to continue to serve. Um, yeah. To continue to serve and help. Yeah, same here. The fight will continue. The fight. The fight will continue. continue. Yeah, and we will all be Dwayne Strong. Dwayne Deanna, you didn't talk to Deanna. Uh, I think she she dropped off. I think she's having issues. Um, not sure what happened. Um, we are Dwayne Strong. Yeah, absolutely, we are. And we're doing this for our hero nine one one. Yep. And he is still that to this day. Absolutely, and that will never change. And so, um, with that, you know, he used to say, "Once was, always is." Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. With that being said, everyone, um, again, I appreciate you all for being on the show, uh, speaking and, and just testifying to the exact type of person that he was to each and every one of us. I mean, so many of the other stories are, are identical, but also, you know, unique in their own ways, too, that 
it, it just explains just how much of a, a a man of many hats type of man he was. He wore many hats and he wore them proudly. And um, every single day was a new adventure for him to learn more and to help others learn more. And so we will be taking that on as responsibilities of you know of our own lives and making sure we apply it in such a way that it makes him proud. And so, absolutely. Yeah. Again, thank you all for being on the show, talking about just overall the overall scope of what type of human being this man was, and helping me dedicate this episode to him because he is rightfully deserved of it. And um, yeah, we'll be circling back. Uh, to talk about the foundation and where we are at that given moment in time when we have the rally thereafter, and then uh, you know what the um, the next steps are to come uh, thereafter. So, thank you all again for being here. I love it. each and every one of you all. Appreciate every last one of you for all that you do, all that you are to me, and all of what we was and still is to him. And so we're going to continue to keep fighting and and advocating for this violence to stop because it has to. So thank you. Yes. Uh, You all be safe. I love you all. Those of you that are in Chicago, stay out of that snow, stay in the house um, and and turn that that heat all the way up because I'm hearing the forecast up there. It's only getting worse and not getting better. And so Plus, Georgia folks, yeah, the weather, you know, it fluctuates, but we ain't got to worry about no snow. Not to rub that in, Dakita. Don't get mad. Don't throw it at me. Don't don't fuss at me. But I am not mad. Just because the snow is up to my shoulders, I'm still going to work every day. <laughs> you know, and just because we don't worry about snow, but once every four years, that's not a big deal. It's okay. But we still right. ice and we get cold down here, so. It's nothing that some boots, a winter coat, and some socks can't handle. There you go. See that? See, you already got the plan in place. So. See? Yeah. Oh, you poor baby. Uh, I, I <laughs> like a true Chicagoan. Oh, my. I gave my, yeah. I gave my card up a long time ago. I did, too. And I'm proud to say that, too. I am I, Georgian. However way they say it. Uh, <laughs> I'm not Especially now that we blue. Yeah. We're, oh my lord! Illinois has always been blue, but we're we're just now turning blue. So it, it took us to be here. It, it took did. us to be here to turn Atlanta and it, Georgia. So yeah. we good. We good. But when now, whenever y'all ready to come down and get some of this nice Georgia weather, you come on down. We got room. I'm all. I'm. I'm already like thinking that it's gonna come April first. It's gonna. We be got the light on for you. It's gonna be warm down here. I'm talking about it's gonna start to get warm. It's gonna be warm. Beautiful, a beautiful spring. Like that's uh, and we love about Georgia. We get all I cool. mean, it's like 30 degrees right now. We okay. I'm, you so, know, so like, like 30. Really, you Georgians. Really, y'all gonna yeah. rub it in like that. Yeah. Really? <laughs> I'm not gonna rub it anymore. I'm sorry. Really? I don't want to get that. No, yeah. it, it's still cold out here right now, and we don't like it, but. At least it ain't that kind of cold. It's almost 50 degrees outside. There you go. I know, I'm like, so well. <laughs> you said something, then you get right back on the same old track. It's so sunny. <laughs> it's so warm. So. Oh. 
gorgeous. The babies was like, we light on for you guys. Yeah, we leave light on. It's okay. We leave light on for you. I'm going to digress at that point. So now I'm I'm done talking about this. It's okay. (laughs) Y'all be safe and uh, stay warm up there. And uh, yeah, we'll be talking again soon uh, with next steps uh, as it pertains to the foundation. So. Thank you all again. Okay. Love y'all. Love you guys. We love you. Guys. We love love you. you. I love, love you guys. You. Thanks, Joy. Great job. We love you. Beautiful Thank you. job, Joy. Thank you, Thank you for the Thank opportunity. You. Thank you. All right. Bye. If you like what you've heard from this week's episode and would like to hear more from previous episodes, Be sure to like, share, comment, and subscribe to my YouTube channel below. You can also find me on social media platforms at speak to the mic underscore podcast show on Instagram and speak to the mic podcast show on Facebook. Be sure to also like, share, subscribe to my Spotify page at speak to the mic podcast show. As I put out more thought provoking content, your opinion and thoughts are needed and appreciated. I thank you all in advance for your support and look forward to hearing from you soon.